All right, at this time, if you would, take out a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, that's fine. The one in front of you is yours. Take it out and open up to Luke chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, let this be a Christmas present to you from St. John's. Um, we want you to take the one in front of you. All the Bibles in the room are available, even the kids' Bibles, if some of the kids have opened them up. Um, please, if you don't have it, take it home as our gift to you. We're going to be reading, as we move through the message together, Luke chapter two, and we're going to begin at verse one. But while you're looking that up, I want to ask you maybe a little bit of an odd question for Christmas Eve. Are there any John Lennon fans in the room? I think there might be more in this service than there were in the first two, though I heard all the, all the real Lennon fans were in the back last at the first service. Um, most popular Lennon song you might think about during the Christmas time is one of the most popular modern Christmas songs, right? The song that he wrote, Happy Xmas, War is Over. You know the words? You want to sing it a little bit? Gary's like, no, I don't. But we're going we're gonna to try it anyway, Gary, so you're going to have to help me out. And so this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, a new one just begun. Give yourselves a hand for following along. It's the reason I hang out over here and the musicians hang out over here. And I, I have to say, in just a moment of seriousness, I, I can't help but think about the message in that song as I opened up the news just this morning and saw that Bethlehem, the setting of the story that we are proclaiming and sharing today, is a place where they're not celebrating Christmas the way we are um, because they are striving for the peace that Lenin wrote about, the peace that we believe that Jesus came to bring. And so they're in our hearts and our minds and in our prayers as we celebrate Christmas here. Uh, that the peace that we're here to celebrate is the peace that we hope for them, too. And there's a different Lennon song that I actually want to tell you about that I've been thinking about as I thought about this story this year. And it's just one line from it, but I, I got down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and I learned a lot about this song. The line might be something you recognize. It goes like this. Say it with me. Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Has anybody heard that before? Does anyone know what song by John Lennon that's, that line is found in? Anybody? Last service didn't have either. It's the song Beautiful Boy. Remember the song Beautiful Boy? He wrote it in 1979, and he included it in 1980 when he recorded it. It's a song about his youngest son, Sean. He was only four years old at the time that he wrote it. And he wrote it out of the context that his, his son had woken up having a bad dream about monsters. And the message of the song is, is kind of taking us through imagining what a father might be thinking about as he's up in the wee hours of the night reassuring his son hopes and dreams for his life as he grows that things will get, and I quote, better and better as he gets older. And then he imparts wisdom upon him like the line at the end of the third verse that says, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. I think the whole purpose of the song really was to focus the boy on the things in life that really matter. And to me, that sounds an awful lot like Christmas. Because words like these, this specific word about life and plans, was, 
was just as true for the young Lenin child as it was approximately 1,980 years before. On a different night, that a different child, Jesus, the most beautiful boy, was born and placed in a manger to a world that was busy making other plans. This is how the gospel writer Luke tells the orderly account, beginning at verse 1. He says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now here's the thing about plans. When, when you're making those plans, those plans are your life, or at least you think they are. If you didn't, you wouldn't be making those plans. And so we go back to the ancient biblical world in this moment in time, and their plans are centered on a census of the entire Roman Empire, counting people like Ebenezer Scrooge counts pennies to tax them, of course, in order to generate revenue to execute their plans to take over and control the world. And as you may well know, when somebody has a plan, they seldom keep it to themselves. Not only do the plans of others have an impact on the people around us, but if we have any power or authority over someone, we make them a part of our plans, whether they like it or not. And that's the predicament that we find ourselves in as we continue through the story of Joseph and Mary. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. You see where I'm thinking about this line? Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. That's what happened. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Why? Why wasn't there a guest room available for them? Well, because everybody in Bethlehem was busy making other what? Plans. They were busy making other plans, and yet life has this stubborn way of progressing forward, whether our plans are ready for it or not. I, I just think about my own life. As I look back on the almost four decades of my life, I see my plans and I see my life. <laughs> and you get the point, right? Like the older I live, the less those two things seem to line up together in big ways and in small ways. Like just a couple of weeks ago, I was ahead of the game. I was early in writing this message, this Christmas Eve sermon. And I set out the entire day, it was a Friday, to be able to just do that. I cleared my calendar. I sat down in my office, and my wife Alyssa told me her daughter Sophie has an ear infection. <laughs> and it was a raging ear infection, and so she had to call the pediatrician and the only time that they could get her in to see the doctor was a time that I had scheduled to sit and write my message. And, and, and Alyssa had something else to do, and so I had to take her. And I said, okay, that's fine. And so I picked her up, and I took her to the doctor. We got the antibiotic, all that stuff. We came back to my office, and I had her sit down on the floor next to my desk. And I made it very clear to her. I said, Sophie, 
Daddy has work to do, and so here's some things you can color and draw on, but you need to leave Daddy alone and do your thing right there while Daddy gets on with his plans. And if you've ever been around a six-year-old, you know that worked for about five minutes, <laughs> right? And as it was about five minutes that went by, I was typing on my keyboard, and under my keyboard, between my fingers and the keys, my daughter slips me this note, <laughs> under my fingers and through my head by the grace of God I didn't say this out loud but in my head I was ready to look at her and remind her of what I told her five minutes ago daddy has plans I've got things to do we've got stuff to do you can't interrupt me until I looked at the note and you know what the note said it said I love you you can awe because it's cute <laughs> and and I realized as I looked at it that first of all this is Probably the first time I've gotten a love note from a girl since middle school. <laughs> Actually, who am I kidding? I didn't get love notes from girls in middle school either. But I knew the way that this works, right? And so instead of telling her that I had other things to do, I went and I found a pen and I wrote on the note, I love you more. And I passed it back. And she wrote me another note. And I said, I love you even more. And she passed that. And I've got only a few of the notes that we did going back and forth and back and forth. Why? Because I'm literally writing a sermon and I'm thinking about the line, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. See, sometimes you've got to pause just long enough to realize that What's happening right in front of us is more important than anything else, anything that's happening around us, any of our plans. What's happening right here, right now, is life. And the statement is true whether we like what's happening right now or not. And that brings me back to John Lennon. John Lennon wrote that song, Beautiful Boy, just one year before it got released in 1980. And he wrote it in large part because he felt like he had lost out on the chance to pour into his older son, Julian, who was about, I don't know, like 10 years younger or older than him or something like that. Uh, he was in the Beatles, and so that was a crazy season. And he didn't want the same thing to happen to Sean. He wanted to pour into his life. And he's even quoted as saying that he felt guilty taking the time that it took to go away and record the song. And so what he did is he put young Sean, he's only five years old, he put his picture on the wall in the recording studio, and he did it, and I quote, because I didn't want to lose contact with what I got. I didn't want to lose contact with what I got. And if you don't know the story, it was just months after that that Lennon was killed. And this song became one of the few memories that young Sean would have to remember his father by. And I read that and I thought, isn't it sobering that just months before he died, Lennon was aware in that recording studio that life is precious and limited and to be invested wisely. And so in all the sentimentality of Christmas, I can end the sermon right now. And, and you would know the point, right? I don't even have to say it. I could say to you right now, here's the point. The gospel according to Lenin, don't lose contact with what you've got. Don't lose contact with what you've got. And you know what? Here's the problem with that. If I say that, you will anyway. I could get up at my bully pulpit. I could talk in a low voice. I could use lots of authority and Bible verses. And I could tell you to live for the moments. 
And that'll work for about a minute until your phone rings or it buzzes or your kid has to go to the bathroom in the middle of the Christmas Eve service or you think about the thousand other things that you've got to get done when you leave this place. You know, one year on Thanksgiving Eve, it wasn't Christmas, it was Thanksgiving, our family's tradition, some of you, it's the, the case for you too. We have this, Christ, this Thanksgiving Eve service here at St. John's. It's full, it's awesome. And our tradition until that year was that we would cook the turkey for our family the night before, and we would leave it baking in the oven when we would go to church, and it was just about done when we came back. And this particular year, we did all those same things, and we showed up back at our house, and the turkey in the oven was on fire. True story. True story. Now, thankfully, all that was taken was, was the oven. And so if you didn't know, Alyssa and I got an oven for Christmas that year. But every one of you that maybe left something in the oven is no longer living in the moment, are you? You're thinking about something else that's somewhere else. You see how easy it is. And even if none of those things distract you, we're all going to stop living for the moment when the moment of our life comes to an end, whether our child is five, or we're 35, or we're 105, which is why the real story of Christmas is about the one and only thing that does matter, and that is that when we lost contact with God, God never lost contact with us. When we lose contact with God, God never loses contact with us. In the metaphor of John Lennon, your picture has been on the recording studio wall of heaven as God has woven together the beautiful melodies of creation itself from the very beginning of time. And he bowed to never lose contact with what he's got. And you know what he's got? You know what the crown of his creation is? It's you. Look in the mirror. It's you. And it's me. Proverbs 19 says many of the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And if you don't know the Lord's purpose, maybe this is the first time you stumbled into church, it's very simple. His purpose is to bring you back every time to him so that you and I can be with him forever. And that's what we needed to hear this Christmas because the truth is, no matter what your plans are, this or any holiday, we don't know whether the plans that we're making right now are going to come to fruition. We don't know. Let's, let's fast forward. It's only Christmas, right? But we're going to talk in just a few days about New Year's resolutions. Should I ask you to raise your hand and tell me who's going to eat less? or smoke less, or drink less, or spend less, or exercise more, or whatever, we're all going to be better next year, right? I've read the statistics. Eight out of ten people won't. That's just the reality. Life is hard. And none of us know what's ahead. Lenin didn't know that he was going to lose his life just a few months after that. I didn't even know I was going to be sitting in a doctor's office with my daughter who has an ear infection two weeks ago. Now, does that mean you shouldn't make plans? Does that mean that you shouldn't live for the moment? You should. You should do all of those things. But because of Jesus, we get to experience grace, not judgment when we fall short. Because we all fall short. 
We experience grace when we get distracted or when we lose sight of what matters the most because it was in a moment just like that that God chose to send his son Jesus to us. He didn't come into a world that was focused on him. He came into a moment in the world when the world had forgotten all about him. They were busy making other plans. It's why it was announced the way it was to the shepherds in verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? Terrified. You know why they were terrified? Because that was not on their plan that night. That was not what they had expected to see. But the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Let me sum it up very simply. Jesus was born to us. Jesus was born unto us in the middle of our distractions, not when we got it all figured out and focused. He was born in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our wars, in the middle of our failures, in the middle of our dirty barns to be placed in the manger of our hearts to save us from every plan in our life that we never should have made every plan that we wish we made but we didn't make, every plan that we did make but we didn't follow through on, every plan the world has made that we've gotten drawn into. And that's why the response to this great moment was a great company of heavenly hosts appearing with the angel, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, Jesus didn't come to bring peace to the people who already had it. He came to bring peace to those who need it. And so if you thought this wasn't relevant for you when you walked in the door because you're not at peace, let me tell you, you are exactly the one that Jesus came to bring peace to. And I know that speaks to at least one of you because I know that it speaks to me. So don't look around the people that you think have it all together Actually, let me tell you a little secret. The people that don't have, that look like they have it all together, they don't have it all together either. <laughs> if they're pastors in churches, their daughters have ear infections and there's a turkey burning in their oven right now <laughs> as we speak. Even John Lennon and all of his music about world peace and his young son couldn't escape the harsh realities in life. And what we're here to remember is that he didn't have to because 2,000 years ago, Jesus did. Jesus did, because he didn't just come to be born as a cute baby in a manger. He came to die on a cross and to take upon himself in the mystery of our faith every imperfection, every sin, every evil plan that ever has or ever will be. He died, and three days later he rose again so that his presence can be born in you, and you and I can be born again in him to eternal life, waiting for him to come and make all things new. And ironically, if you put your faith and trust in a God who tells you that in him you will never die, it's actually the only thing that makes it possible for us to live in the moment because in Jesus, the moment never ends. 
Life is no longer a limited resource. But because life begins with him and he came to be with us, Emmanuel, God is with us and we will be with him forever, starting right now. And friends, that's the same story that we've been telling at this church for 125 years. If you're here for the first time this Christmas, you may not know that we've been celebrating 125 years as a church. And that means, as I was thinking about it this year, that there have been 125 Christmas In this place, this building right here was built in the first year that this church met in this particular place. We have been celebrating for generations the gift of peace and hope and love and joy that is found in Jesus. And one of the ways that we've had the privilege of honoring what God has done in this place and through these people has been by producing a short video over the last several months that has told just a part of the story of God in this place and with these people. As I said before, nobody until today has seen this video. And so we are humble and we are proud. We are excited to share it with you tonight. Let's watch. The thread that connects generations of believers is this reality that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It is that hope that we have in Christ. It is that eternal life that we have in Christ. The forgiveness that we have in Christ. And the opportunity we have to share that hope and invite the world into that hope with us. In 1899, just one year after St. John's was established in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, the Emperor of Germany, Kaiser Wilhelm II, was thinking about his childhood friend, his childhood friend who became the first pastor of this church, Hugo Steubenwald. As an encouragement, he sent his friend this German Bible, and in the front cover, the Emperor wrote out the words of Romans 12.12, which says, Rejoice in our confident hope. And for 125 years, it is hope that has gathered people in this place as an outpost of an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. In, in 1949, our, our house burnt down. And uh, uh, it, we had nothing. I mean, it, you know, every, everything was gone. We didn't, didn't save anything. And uh, uh, and th th that was on a Saturday. And the next Sunday morning, my mother had us here in church. And, and the per church provided us with basically, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever we needed. We're multi-generational, um, young and old gather around. And I mean, we've had members coming here for over well over 50 years and new members coming each week um, and it's all because they see how God is working through St. John's. He's, he's doing things, he's doing things all the time for us and we want to grow and see how we can serve him well. It's just not us coming here and sitting and listening to pastor, but it's how can we do what the Lord would have us do? Yeah, I think, I think everything we do here is to try to 
grow the family, you know, whether that be internally or externally, uh, but, you know, supporting other church members and new members and guests, uh, you know, inside, outside, uh, our youth and getting involved and, and wanting to be a part of and watching them grow and foster that growth, it's, it's, that's all just part of growing the family. generations have gathered here to worship the God who brought us hope to begin with and extends that hope to all people in all generations in every circumstance for all of eternity.